out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Indeed, we are. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it is going to be the turn of Paul Morini, who I spoke to very recently to talk about life, love, poetry, all that other kind of groovy stuff. Anyway... Paul, drummer with such bands as the Jazz Butchers, also the Blue Aeroplanes, um, the Times Plus, Primal Scream on one occasion, and many, many more. Too more, too many to even uh, go through them all. Anyway, he's a legend, and this is the interview after several minutes, quite a few minutes in fact, talking about uh, West Ham United, Action Men, and uh, various other interesting but slightly Yes, conversations I didn't expect to have with Paul. We got down to that exciting um, bit of the uh, early musical years. And Paul, it's over to you. I was really lucky, because um, obviously I've been thinking about, um, you, know, you know, what the hell I'm supposed to say today. But um, <laughs> I guess, you know, if you, if you want to get just straight into the music, uh, I was so lucky. Uh, I was born in 1965. Oh right, so, I was I was 1964, so I am one year older. I'm, I probably know your right, cultural you, references to to almost without. Yes, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, well, yeah, I, I, I sort of uh, I grew up then, and I got into music at a really early age. Um, I, I could apparently, uh, some of your mum tells me, I, I could put on records when I was. Um, about four years old, you know, I could actually, it was like a, uh, you know, uh, it was a gramophone, you know, it was the big thing with the speakers either side and a radio, a radiogram. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, and. I was going to say, it's yeah. quite interesting because cause my parents had sort of, when they got married, which was probably in the 50s, they sold everything they had, you know, I think that's what people did, you know, like, so we didn't have a record player, we had the radio. Well, they did, saving up for divorce or something. <laughs> no, they saved up for getting married. I think, I think it was like, you know, you, you had so little money, you know, you had to just literally... Yeah, of course, no, of course, yes, You know, yes, that, yes. that kind of working class thing that... You, Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, so records were, were kind of something that slightly crept in, in more in the 70s after we'd after my parents, I think, it just scraped money together. My dad used to sort of have a, a weekend part-time job and as well as a full-time job. My mum used to do kind of weird kind of work in, in sort of fields because I come from the countryside, so it was like, you know, those kind of seasonal jobs, picking apples, picking fruit kind of, and in the winter, turkey plucking or something dreadful like that. You know, it was, it was, that, kind of, <laughs> it was that kind of childhood. You know, it was, you know, looking back on it, I feel guilty because it was like, Jesus, you guys suffered. But your parents had a record player, which is very nice. And so what were the records your dad and mum used to have? Well, um, I can honestly say that the first one that really stuck in my head, it was... Um, it was like a, it was it was a, it was Elvis Presley's forty greatest hits. Now, when you think about it, you know it's not like you know so and so's best hits. It was Elvis Presley's forty, like forty. There's forty songs on it, and I was like, oh, all right then. And I was like, oh, they're all greatest hits. And yes. of course, I started listening to that, and I was very young. And so, yeah, strange enough, you know, it was um, it was Elvis really. Yes. And, you know, that, make, that, that makes me sound old before my time, but it was just, um, you know, obviously, I'm guessing I was I really started getting into music when I was kind of, well, 
1970, then I was four or five years old, I, it actually started to um, stick in my head, you know, yeah. as in, like, ah, oh, okay, oh, oh, yeah, this I can dig. It wasn't just something that was about, it was like, this I can get into, you know what I mean? So, yeah, so your dad, so your, that, your parents then were obviously that gen, probably the same generation as mine, aren't they? They were probably very young during the war, weren't they? And then they sort of um, loved Elvis yes. and, and, and sort of Eddie Cochran and stuff like that. Did they, just yeah. curious, did he like did they like country and western at all? Uh, yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, mine too. Yeah, uh, yeah. so I was straight into that as well. Um, and so I guess the storytelling side of it all, you know, like, which I loved, you know, um, and just, I mean, <clears throat> uh, to be honest with you, David, I think the first song that I can really remember that actually, really actually did something to me was, um, it was, uh, and it's the B side, it's, it's uh, Eleanor Rigby by the Beatles, because I remember listening to, listening to it as a young kid, like playing it, and I've, I've been playing it for ages, because I just like the melody. But I actually put it on, and I actually, you know, I wouldn't say I cried or anything, but I had this sort of moment where I went, oh, my God, like, you know, they're talking about lonely people. And, and you know, I suddenly sort of, bit, I moved up a realm, and I was like, oh, this, this, this shit's good, like, music. You know, yes. it's like, this is, it can really, uh, you know, you can connect. Well, it's interesting because I remember, you know, and I've, obviously this is always sketchy in the 60s, listening to, what, you know, because my mum would be listening to the radio while sort of doing the washing in the kitchen because you'd have one of those famous twin tub washing machines which were quite lethal with lots of pans of boiling water and, you know, it was kind of quite a performance. I remember them well, yes. It was, yeah. And there was a lot of noise. I think, as a, you know, we didn't have many toys, but, you'd, you know, to get some sort of cheap thrill, you'd sit on top of this kind of washing machine that would vibrate around the kitchen floor with great enthusiasm. And so she had Radio 2 on. Um, and it was you like... Be Jimmy, careful how you word that. I know, this is true. But um, I, I do <laughs> <laughs> remember the excitement of the, the twin tub and sort of like no, no. holding on to yeah. it as it span around it at great speeds and boiling water, yeah, boiling pans of water sort of steaming away as she did the washing. And, and it was kind of quite dramatic. But she had radio too. And there was like Jimmy Young in the afternoon with What's the Recipe Today, Jimmy? But then there was like music like The Carpenters. And it's interesting you mentioned about Eleanor Rigby because I remember The Carpenters very young and the lyrics were really like, wow. You know, they, it, again, it was all about loneliness, alienation and trying and not finding love. And it was like interesting and so i can remember that being very struck with the carpenters who i still love to this day because i just think you know you can't beat those lyrics you know so it's um yes a young sensitive well, person yeah um a, a massive carpenters fan as i was growing up like just um, again you know that was in the record collection but you know it really was kind of like um the innocence of top 20 kind of vibe you know it's you know, a lot of the stuff I listened to um, when I was growing up. Um, but, you know, I, I loved it with a passion, you know, because once I realised that, um, you know, I, I was, you know, I was obviously I was being educated at school and I was learning, like, the English language and what have you. And it, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that I'm, <laughs> I'm particularly sort of adept at the English language. Um, but I just, it just, it really, it just hit something with me, a little bit like you're saying, you know. I was like, wow, the carpenters. Listen to this, and now I was fascinated with a brother and sister for stars. Yeah, and you she know, played uh, drums, uh, and she played drums. Yes, <laughs> and she's a mighty fine drummer as well. Yeah, but then, then the other big thing that happened in our lives, I guess I'm guessing this Thursday, you know, seven o'clock was top of the pops time, wasn't it? And then, and and you was obviously at the same age as, as kind of the excitement of seeing people like Sweet and 
Gary Glitter, um, Alice Cooper's School's Out as well. Did did you did you also start to get very excited about the Thursday night ritual? Oh, just obsessed. Simple as that, you know. There was no going going around it. It was like it's it's half past seven Thursday. I'm watching Top of the Pops, and uh, and you know and your mum and dad let you watch that because it was just Top of the Pops. Yes. You know, um, it wasn't like sort of, you know, trying to watch a documentary about you know. Um, Dali or or Quentin Crisp or something, you know what I mean? Like you know all that other weird stuff that I used to see going on in the background, sort of when I was growing up, you know, because I, I was quite inquisitive. So yes, but yeah, no, top of the pops, like massive, just a you know, just a, a completely massive fan. So what were what were the kind of particular bands or, or songs that you know struck struck a chord with you during that time? Um, Slade massively. Um, Susie Quattro, uh, especially because um, at the school that I used to go to, uh, my primary school, um, there was a Catholic club. Sort of, uh, you know, sort of, it, it was all it was all, all on the same sort of piece of land. There was like a church, a school, a primary school, uh, not secondary, primary, um, and there was a Catholic club, and there was um, the presbytery where the priests lived and whatever. And Susie Quattro used to rehearse in in, in the hall. Wow. And, uh, 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 well, I was blown away because I remember sitting in the classroom as a young kid. This would have been, I'm guessing, like about 73 or something. So I was like, you know, if you, yeah, I was was a young boy. But I remember going, me and my friends, uh, we snuck in and uh, we were going, who's this making all the noise? And it was Susie Quattro, man. <laughs> yeah, it well, was in mental. Those, in those days, I mean, I mean, a it was kind of visually amazing, but also song-wise, I mean, a bit like Ballroom Blitz. I mean, they were just kind of great anthems, actually. So, what was your, what was the first single that you kind of saved up money and sort of thought, right, I'm buying that on Saturday morning? Um, it was actually uh, quite a few years later, probably about 1979, when I really started because. Um, basically, uh, uh, my mum and dad, you know, they go shopping, like, you know, Romford's a shopping town, not where I come from. And, um, and they'd go and they'd buy them Top of the Pops albums. So oh, God, we had them. those. <laughs> I know. So like, I'd watch the real thing. I'd watch Bowie, like, on a Thursday night and just be going, oh, my God, or, like, you know, Mungo Jerry or something, you know, and, or just these people. And, and like, of course, you know, being a young child, I was incredibly, um, well, I was easily impressed, you know, and and I used to watch it and just go, oh my god, like what's this, you know? And plus, I had music sort of in the house, so it was just like it was almost like I didn't have any kind of uh, um, I had no filter, you know. Yeah. It was just any anything that was big and loud, and 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 then the filter started to sort of come in, like just as I started to realise that, you know. Um, well, it was you know, it was it was funnier or, or just better to watch sort of like you know your Bowie's and, and like Mungo Jerry and Slade and because they were just fun, weren't they? You know. Yeah, just, and, well, then, and I think that we caught a bit of T Rex because it's interesting because and T Rex, of course, of course. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, um, because when know. my parents got a record player, which was probably about seventy two, seventy three, it got introduced into the house with great enthusiasm. One of the records they bought was. The top of the poppers sing the carpenters, and I didn't realise it wasn't the carpenters for many years later. I got fooled as well <laughs> when I was young. I got fooled as well, David, um, and I used to just listen and just go, 
oh, but there was some, something deep inside me knew it wasn't quite right, you know. <laughs> but I was like, but this will do because it's because I just thought it was so brilliant, you know. Yeah, just, I know. Just music, you know. But I was kind of uh, lucky because uh, it, it was 75 when I saw Bowie doing, it was the reissue of Space Oddity and I that was the single. And, and then being like you said about the B-side, it was the B-side of that. It had changes in Velvet Goldmine, and I was like, "Oh, yes, B sides, yeah. B sides, very good, aren't they?" I was a bit, I kind of hit it high up the very first hit, really, didn't I? From then on, it was a bit downhill. But um, yes, that that was kind of that was quite a lucky one, lucky one, Bowie, because it could have been Gary Glitter. Let's face it. So, um, so look, when did you start playing music then? So, because you you obviously had a sport, there was a sporting environment around you, which obviously I we had as well. That was the thing that. Men did on a Saturday afternoon every yeah yeah I, I never really got into that like, I mean I, <clears throat> I, I'm not the biggest of fellas I'm, I'm quite skinny so and so at school I you know I used, it, it was sport obviously all the time football rugby cricket which I find really dull but um yeah I, I just to me the music was like just I was straight in like a rat up a drain pipe so to speak <laughs> I was like that oh this will do this is loads better you know this is uh, much more me you know yeah but I've always been a great fan of sport you know but um but yeah uh, but partaking no it wasn't really my uh, wasn't my cup of dar drilling no <laughs> so Lady I went Grave. straight to music <laughs> yeah so look you know, when so when because because you know we just played football Football, then some more football, and then that was it, really. But so, what happened? I mean, how did you kind of discover, you know, like playing an instrument and having someone to give you some kind of guidance, I suppose? Oh, well, it was my dad. Um, he, was, he was still with us, I might add. I popped around to see him last night. Um, he, he he played drums, and and in fact, I've got the drum kit. You know, it's the family drum kit. Um, I've got it now. Wow, um, that is fantastic to still have that heritage. Yeah, yeah, and it's a vintage. It's a Rogers. It's beautiful as well. It's uh, bright red. Um, uh, it's a nineteen sixties uh, vintage drum kit. Uh, I, I, and I'm not really a drummer's drummer. I just played drums because that was what was there, you know. And uh, and I got, you know, dare I say, it, I got pretty good at it, you know, so when I was young. And I think my, it was always a worry to my dad because he, he was thinking, oh, for fuck's sake, he's only gone and got good at it. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because it was like, yeah, well, this is what I'll do then. And he's like, no, no, no. You know, like, like any sort of parents would do. They go, no, you've got to get a real job and all that. But um, no, that that, that that didn't really happen. <laughs> so did, did he give you some, I mean, because that's kind of, that's a really great thing to have that, you know, on your doorstep. You know, a drum kit and and somebody who can at least show you some of the basics, so that you can not waste too much time being completely rubbish. You know, but knowing what to do. And was your actually? How did your dad get a drum kit? I mean, what was he? What was his kind of story then? Um. Well, uh, he, he was uh, he, he's an Irishman, and I, I don't know um, because I never I never had the pleasure of meeting my grandparents, so. But I think that they were musical, and yeah, it just—I really don't know. There was just as a kid, there was always a drum kit about. But I must say, um, you know, my dad never gave me any lessons or anything, and he and he said this to me like we we laugh about it because he was like, oh, like, how the hell did you manage to get sort of like that? I, I didn't show you how to do that sort of thing, you know. And I'm like, yeah, well, I don't know. 
And because you know, I, I'd play them, but I'd have to clean them first. You know, old school. Like, you don't just get to like, you know, there's a drum kit play on it. It was like, oh, you know, you have to, you know, like, you clean them, then I'll you can sort of play on them in the garage. Nice. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm not really sure how music got into our family. There was no, yeah, I'm not really sure. Yeah. But there there was a drum kit there, and and, and I've still got... And you still still got got it? Still got the drum kits. So when did did your sort of first moment of being in a band, you know, when was that kind of experience? Well, after I used to watch um, Susie Quattro rehearse, and like we used to go in, like me and a couple of mates, and sit cross-legged, like you know, uh, and watch. And and I must say, and I do remember because I used to get, you know, she gave me a signed photo and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I was just like, well, this is it, you know, because I was already into it anyway. So, um, you know, she was preaching to the converted, you might say. Yes, absolutely. That's quite good. It's funny because I did an interview with a member of Mega City Four couple of weeks ago and he's he's the tour manager of Susie Quattro now so um, that was his kind of one of his day jobs oh, right. cool. as, as, as you do so it's kind of it's interesting that she's still she's still on the circuit doing the business isn't she yeah well she was over in Australia um I think it was probably a couple of years ago now but um I, I just I, I couldn't um I just couldn't get to the gig um you know I had sort of work stuff going on and what have you yes but um I actually, I was, you know, I was, I was, I still felt like a little kid. I was thinking, oh, if I can get to this gig, I can say to her, Susie, it's me. Yes, I was <laughs> And she'll be going like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> and yeah. I'll be going, oh, no, but you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it'd be amazing. So, I'm sure it'll yeah. happen one day. So look, during the 80s, because I kind of, to be honest, I completely missed punk because I was quite young. And my older brother, who was seven years older, he was quite into prog rock. So I, I, I used to sneak into his room when he wasn't there and play his kind of Yes and Genesis albums and was very fascinated. And he had a couple of, you know, like Deep Purple and Black Sabbath albums, which I thought were mm. amazing, exciting. The drumming of John Lord, I think. Um, yeah. And so that was, uh, yes, Cozy Powell. Remember him. Dance with the Devil. Yeah, he was he was yes, very yeah. excited. But then, as the eighties, that was probably the decade that I became much more kind of almost on it. I'm, I was never really on it, was I? But you know, the early eighties was when <laughs> I kind of, you know, that was when I had that sudden, you know, John Peel thing and the NME on the Wednesday and and sort of recording John Peel show and then sort of going to the you know more gigs and they weren't big gigs at all they were either things like the uea at the in norwich or all the smaller ones at the arts center and places like that so they were quite you know and i really loved indie pop as well as anything john peel played so i got into all that kind of rap stuff and the bundu boys you've got to love the bundu boys in the 80s haven't you so when did you when did you start to sort of form you know and become part of a, a of a band um well i started a band um in primary school when I was really young, because of Susie Quattro, you know, so so well, you know, still talking about that. But then um, <clears throat> I look, I was just always fascinated with um, with British youth culture, like from a very young age. Um, I just found it like uh, just just an amazing thing, you know. Um, because when I was growing up, like you know, there was still like, there was still the odd teddy boy hanging about, you know, in Romford, you know, like with his you know, it, it, with his with his crepes on, and you know, and and, and there's Romford was a, a breeding ground for that kind of thing, which I thought was amazing. You know what I mean? And, and I just used to look at it and just go, oh wow! And there'd be like skinheads and 
And I, I think I was a little bit of everything as I grew up, like you know. Yes. <laughs> and so like, by by the eighties, you know, I, I, I was sort of fascinated by um like soul music, you know, um and disco punk. I'd already gone through the two the two tone thing. I mean, I was just really lucky, and I was very receptive at the time, sort of um in my little tiny little brain, which yeah. is still the same size. Well, it's interesting because um, your youth culture. Um, being from the East Anglian region, it was much more like status quo. I mean, it was kind of a bit of metal and sort of not heavy, heavy metal, but kind of rock. You know, status quo was a band that you couldn't say anything against because you would be beaten up. And so, you know, you could, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even admit you'd like two tone to anyone because you'd get beaten up. You know, it was really tribal at that stage. So, but there were kind of, I could see there'd been a bit of a hippie movement during the. Um, the seventies in in East Anglia because there had been these fairs and festivals. People had yes, come out of yeah. London. They sort of wanted to get into the countryside, you know. And also, you know, well, the, the country had gone well, to the gone to the dogs. I mean, it would have been three day <laughs> week, you know, when things had gone. And there were strikes. I remember, you know, when you're young, all you could hear about was strikes and um, famine, really, wasn't it? And kind of political unrest. And then Thatcher came in in seventy nine, which kind of changed it a lot. And then the eighties got even worse. So that wasn't much fun, was it? Well, you know, like I keep saying, um, Romford was actually a brilliant place to grow up um, because, you know, there was a real cross-culture of, of, of all types of people. And um, I don't know, you just, um, it was kind of like you, you were allowed to be different, but you might get your head kicked in. But so, <laughs> so but if you're going to be different, like be clever and different and and, and sort of just, just convince the people who don't like, why you're being different that the way you're being different's all right if you know what i mean and um i'm not sure how that come out <laughs> it's true i mean you know there was the market there so that, you know even if you know even if you feel you know all of a sudden you start getting into the cure and thinking i want to spike my hair up and dye it funny color a little bit and sort of be a bit goth like you can still get away with it in rumford just because you know, like I say, you know, you, you might have to sort of dodge getting your head kicked in, but um, look, you know, it was it was a market town. It was just, you know, it, it was out in the open, you know, yes. and it was an open air market. And and I think for that reason alone, um, you know, we had great record shops like Downtown Records, and we had great clothes shops, and the market itself, you know, look, you know, because the traders would always be on to the next fashion, you know, and like, you know, in '79, when the mod revival started, all of a sudden. All the all the clothes like, on the market, they're all like um, tonics and you know like monkey jackets and monkey boots and so it was just kind of right right on my doorstep really. Yeah. And, and I loved I loved it all. Like, yeah. Yeah, well, that's I, lucky. I just loved it all. I tell yeah, you, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Growing up in small market towns in East Anglia, we were definitely not on. We were definitely way behind things like that too. It was, it, it yes, it was, a, it was very sort of, um, yeah. It, you know, I know it's a cliche, but it is kind of like, you know, it, it does get, you know, it did get a bit left. It does get left behind. Well, it used to. I don't know what it's like now, but you know, things took a long time to creep up to, you know, the East Anglian region. So then, you know, like 
you know, because suddenly, you know, the 80s hit and we're all very excited. Well, not really, but, um, you know, it's kind of quite grim, really, isn't it? Let's face it, you know, there was like, you know, there was like wars, you know, the Falkland Wars. There was the kind of minor strike, things getting pretty horrendous. But the music scene had changed from that kind of punk to post-punk. I mean, you had the charts with that Trevor Horn-esque sound and all that kind of lots of balloons and big hair on top of the Pops party in a way to the... Absolutely, Which yes. was... Um, bizarre but indie pop for me suddenly was like oh my god the smiths you know wow that's incredible you know and then you know that obsession with you know i loved indie pop i have to say you know the that whole jingly jangly sound sort of really did did it for me and the lyrics of the smiths again did it for me so yeah so during that period then because you're obviously you know a year younger how do, how were you sort of navigating that sort of decade of, of both um, as, as a, you know, musician as well as somebody who was kind of, um, yeah, just alive. Well, I, I was, um, I, you know, obviously I was playing in a, my local band, uh, which, you know, I helped start. It was, you know, like when you're young, you know, you, and you're actually part of something from, like, you know, from the, from, from the floor up, you know. It's, and so it's the best thing ever. You know, I was in my local band, uh, AC and Shade, and uh, we were lucky enough, uh, we had a club called The Res in Rockford, and also uh, the, the Wolfhounds, um, they were emerging at the time. Uh, they were all, all great friends of mine. Uh, and of course, we had a little, a little bit of lineage as well because we had the Purple Hearts, you know, from the Mud Revival, yes. another Rumford band. So it was like, it was it was pretty cool, you know. And it was like ah. Oh. Um, so yeah, yeah, you, just, yeah. So you had because that that there was a whole load of indie bands that were around at that time, or suddenly getting around there. There was because most people when they talk about the music scene at that time, you know, they talk they mention Orange Juice as being very influential, and then there's also the other bands which is like the Smiths, the Go Betweens, and then we had the June Brides who were the other ones. But then you know you had Yeah Yeah No, which were from the Midlands, but then the Wolfhounds with David. Can't remember his surname, but you know they they were just uh, super cool. Mr. David Lance Callan. Yes, of mine. there you go. Yes, and I always remember hearing another lazy day on a lazy A, and thinking, God, I'm going to buy that 12 inch on the pink label, which is um, that's right. It was yeah, very was exciting. Perfect. So so it was all going, and then obviously as as that decade went on, the indie scene. You know, then you had bands like Stump and Big Flame and Bog Shed, and you know it was kind of it was just you know, and there was all those bands that we've got a first box and we're going to use it and. Um, Dear old yes. Ted Shubiton. So indie pop and, and at the you know, at that time, which was kind of something I hadn't appreciated so much, you know, you had those gatekeepers. So you had John Peel. As John Peel play would give you, you know, a, yeah, a certain think, yeah, audience. Yeah. So you had the NME who had like hundred thousand circulation. And then most little places or towns and cities had various little indie club nights and alternative nights. So people, you know, if you got a John Peel play, you know, the likelihood is someone might phone you or ring you or write you a letter and say, Do you want to come and play in two months? time at the Norwich Arts Centre, you know, on our indie mm. night, on a Monday night. So, you know, that it all kind of helped the scene kind of move along a bit. So I just wondered how, you know, from as, as you were sort well, of getting into the well, Romford scene, how that was developing. Well, it definitely, um, it started down at the Res, uh, and there was a guy called Chris Needs. Um, I've, I've long lost touch with him, but um, he just... He just got everyone together and went, look, there's the sort of music we like. And we all looked a bit different, you know. So um, it was kind of like um, a punk thing, but it was a little bit more gothy, like you know. Uh, dare I admit it, you know? But I did just dye my hair red and sort of, you know. But I was into like it just we got in, it just opened up like a huge doorway for you know for all of us actually in Romford. Um, 
just start going right. Yes, you know, because alternative wasn't invented then. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was no. just like, and but, it was like right. But you had the hell, this was is it, brilliant. You know, but you had the Pesh Mode, didn't you? In was that Romford? I, I think they're Billy Ricky boys. Oh, they. They're Essex. Yeah. Oh, Basildon. is in Essex, yes. They've yeah, Basildon. Yeah, Basildon, yes. Yeah, OK. Yeah. That's pretty close, though, yeah. isn't it? Basildon? Yeah, well, well, the great thing about Rumford, like, it, was, it was incredibly close to Stratford. Right. Which was, like, in the heart of the East End. So, like, you know, you can get to Stratford in, like, you know, 20 minutes, or, or you could back in the day, you know, just jump on the train, you know. And, and also, um, you know, you could get fast train uh, straight to Liverpool Street. You could be there in like 20 minutes. So you've gone from kind of like, you know, a, a London borough of Havering, just on the outskirts, full of like, you know, um, East End overspill f from the war and what have you. So like, you know, the humour was always like completely cockney. But, um, but you know, we were all growing up and just thinking, yeah, well, this is like bollocks. <laughs> like, you know, we're into music, you know, and, and then of course, you know, and like, you know, like minds kind of sort of congregate and, uh, and that's what we did. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I, American music was, was um, really, in my early 20s, it was massive, like, you know, to me and my mates, like, you know, from Ram Rumford, like the Wolfhounds and all that. We're always listening to, you know, sort of uh, like New York, like, you know, Lou Reed, the, the, obviously the Velvets um, and stuff like that. I think we were quite fascinated by that in a strange way. Yes. Well, um, I, uh, yes, I mean, um, the Velvets and, and that Lou Reed album, Transformer, the B-side, um, the B-side, the side two, it had some really strange but fascinating songs. And I was always amazed with the Velvet Underground album because I'd read it was one of those classic albums. And in those days, you had to just, you couldn't just go and stream it and listen to it. You just had to vaguely go and buy a copy for two ninety nine. And I was like, and the first song is Sunday Morning. And it was like, I did not expect that at all. And then it's like, oh, blimey, that's changed by sign, mm. by the second song. So, yeah, it was fascinating. But then in, also in the 80s, because we'd had, obviously, the, you know, I remember John Peel playing Public Image Limited and then LL Cool J oh. and the Bundu Boys and all that kind of another folk stuff, as well as all the indie stuff. I mean, there was those other American bands like Husker Du and, and Sonic Youth and the Buttholes and Big Black started to appear as well, which I kind of like that kind of sound as well. So... As as the eighties, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So as the eighties progressed, because you're, what was the first kind of band band that you sort of became part of then during that decade? That you know, from from your school to your, this is this is kind of a bit more than just kind of a hobby. Oh well, it was um, it was you know my first band. Uh, we were called a uh, not a brilliant name, but we were called Eighty in the Shade, and like you know we we're from Rumford, and you know we were always. Um, you know, playing down at this club, the Res, as were the Wolfhounds and all that, and we were kind of in, a little bit in competition. But we, we were... Uh, uh, Dave uh, Dave Callahan, like, he, he he clocked on straight away that like, there's, there's going to be something happening, like an, in, like a sort of an independent scene, you know? Yes. Whereas um, the, the band I was in, we, we were just kind of like, oh, we were just legends in our own lunchtime. <laughs> <laughs> we just thought we were as amazing. We were like, oh, fuck all that. Like, we don't need a scene, you know. So, um, so yeah, like, yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty young, really. Just. Uh, but then, you, just, so so as the eighties progressed, because then sort of eighty seven, you know, things change. 
you know, I mean, this is kind of a bit basic. This is me just making things up, really. But, you know, like, well, <laughs> no, the, Smith, the Smiths break up, that's a fact. But the indie scene had really changed because kind of ecstasy came along and there was like a bit of a shift. And, and most bands, you know, after three to five years, have kind of had enough, bizarrely. They've kind of like, this is not much fun and we've made no money. And I've got really sick of these other people that I'm sort of basically in a relationship with. So it normally finishes about then. And so you... You know, so as so, how was how was it for you in the eighties doing you know playing music? Because because there is definitely kind of swings, aren't there? There's definitely kind of change of styles and stuff. Yeah, well, look, um, I kind of got you know I sort of outgrew Rumford and what have you, and I was living in the East End by that, like you know I was sort of back around Stratford Way and what have you, and uh, which is much closer to town. And just back in the day, it literally was you know if you want to do music, you've got to live in London, you know. So, and I was already there, and and I wanted to do music, so I just kind of did. But I did. It was just it was a very simple transition. I just I just bought the Melody Maker, and started looking at the ads in the back, and um, I, I stumbled across an, an advert one day that it was just like you know like sign band like you know, blah 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 you know like single coming out you know like needs drummer blah. And you know, I was working as a van driver at the time uh, in Ilford, and I just sort of answered the ad, and it was it was Phil Wilson. And I, obviously, I'd known, you know, I knew the, of the Dream Brides, um, uh, just simply forgot just through like, the, the Wolfhounds and, and, and like, like I say to you, the Wolfhounds they were much more adept at kind of getting into sort of where something was happening uh, as opposed to the band that I was playing in. Like, which was just another local band. Um, so, and I kind of sort of picked up on that and I went, oh, yeah. And so I'd heard of the Dream Brides and all that, and I, I thought they were a good band. And I'd seen them a couple of times down at the ambulance station and places like that on the old Kent Road. And um, yeah, and, and then I sort of met Phil and sort of joined his band and did that for a bit. And it kind of, I, I'm not, I really can't quite remember David, but I'm. I think Creation might have, have. I'm not sure, but something happened, and basically he didn't. You know, he wasn't on Creation anymore. Yes. But by which point, I, I kind of got my foot in the door, and um, you know, I was hanging around with Alan and Dick Green and that, and uh, I was getting on famously, and you know, and it was Dick Green who went, "Oh, Jazz Butcher, he, he's looking for a drummer. Like, you know, you, you'll fit the bill." and uh, off you and off, off a jolly well went, yeah. Yeah, because interesting, because you mentioned you mentioned something the 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 ambulance station. Because I've sort of interviewed a few people who were in a band called the Hangman's Beautiful Daughters, the variation of this Scottish folk band, and um, yeah, and they and they were squatting in that that particular venue, and I think yeah, that's that, right. That was the first time yes. Jesus and the Mary Chain played in London, I think was the kind of the yeah. the general gist of it. So yeah, so what was what was that kind of scene like? from what you can remember? Um, well, I can't really remember that much about it, really, Dave. Um, look, uh, it, you know, I was young, times were exciting, and I was just sort of going, right, I'm just, just going to keep moving, like, you know, and just sort of keep hanging around with people doing things. And um, But, yeah, I remember the ambulance station. Like, uh, my my original band, like, you know, my, sort of my local band, like, we played there even, you know, it was like, it was it was on the map. Like you could get there, you know. Yes. But there, there was a, there was a lot of those sort of venues around at the time, 
Well, it's interesting because um, a lot yeah. of the, Scot- the, the a lot of the both Australian and New Zealand bands I've interviewed, you know, they all sort of had that pilgrimage to, you know, London, I suppose, to sort of because they realised mm. they needed to get out of, you know, their respective countries. And squatting in London at that time seemed to be a thing that a lot of people just did. They just went to London, squatted, and continued playing music, you know, and did the usual. You know, got a few singles out, did a John Peel session, did an album, you know, and that kind of stuff before, yeah. you know, moving on again. So it was kind of, it sounded like a very kind of exciting and, and vibrant time for those who were kind of on that or in that scene anyway. So look, the Jazz Butcher, this is very, this, yes. see, these, these are kind of major players, aren't they, in the indie world? Yes. Um, I, I'd, I'd never really heard of uh, uh, Mr. Fish, like Patrick Fish. Uh, and the jazz butcher, but uh, Dick Green sort of said to me, "Listen to this." And uh, Creation had just put out um, Fishkatech, which was uh, uh, Pat's first album on on Creation, and it was a case of like, listen to that, learn it, and like you know, go to rehearsals, and then uh, and because we're not, you know we're you know we're going to put him out on a, on, a, on a massive tour, like you know, and, and a massive tour back then was sort of like all around England and, <laughs> and a bit of Europe. And I was like, oh, this is brilliant, you know. Um, and I met Pat Fish and, uh, yeah, uh, well, the rest is kind of history. Like, you know, yes. I did a lot of work with Pat. So, Well, also, you um, know, because most, you know, I know I say this every I'm time. I'm still in contact with him as well. Like, you know, me and him are great friends. Yes, know? well, yes. All I mean, these years later. Well, he is a kind of a, what I would think of as a, as a kind of a real artist in the sense of somebody who really stuck with it and wasn't going to do anything else apart from music. And then, you know, because most bands, you know, they have that very creative time when it's kind of in the sort of, I suppose, when it's all happening, you know, which normally is about a five-year yes. narrative, isn't it? They they get together, yeah, yeah. they make a sort of, you know, they make a sound that's going to be a bit more appealing, not just to their friends and family and anybody they can emotionally blackmail to see them, but, you know, like to a bigger <laughs> audience, you know, and then suddenly, mm. you know, like a John Peel play and a John Peel session gives people that next stage of like, oh, okay, you know, you get a random, yeah, absolutely, yeah. You get a yeah, random yeah. phone call from someone in, I don't know, Leeds or Glasgow or Norwich or Bristol and they said, do you want to come and play? So, you know, tours were quite interesting because they were sometimes quite random as well, weren't they? They didn't sort of have, you know, you know, it was just like, go get a van, go up, drive somewhere and play the gig because um, you'll probably get 150 to 200 indie kids like me who would just turn up because of just hearing them, you know, and possibly buying the album as well. So, yeah, so with the with with your with your jazz, the jazz butcher phase, um, you did you were with them sort of for, was it three or two albums? The the Big Planet, Scary Planet and Cult of the Basement. Yes, I did that and... Um... I think I did Condition Blue as well. Um, but it was funny, like, we always seemed to be recording, like, even when we was on tour, you know, like, doing radio sessions and stuff like that, you know. Um, but I've got to say, you know, it was a massive part of my life uh, playing in the jazz butcher, because, like, you know, we went to America, you know, like, for God's sake, you know, I mean, I, just, I was just some, like, you know, idiot, not idiot, but, you know what I mean, like, I was just like a fella from Rumford. Yes. And it's like, yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, and I started, you know, um, I started dragging people along with me as well, like my like my good friend Martin, like he was a, a brilliant sound engineer. I'm like, guess what? I've actually got in a band that's actually you know going on tour, like for real, like you know, and we'll get you know like ten quid a day PDs or something, <laughs> and and we get a split of the t-shirt money at the end. 
God. And, well, that that was that was good enough for me, mate. I was off. You know, it was either that or working the glass factory. You know yeah. what I mean? So. It wasn't, it, there wasn't, yeah, there wasn't much of a, you didn't have to debate that one for long, did you really? Yeah, so so yeah. how did you find the American experience? Because I know a lot of people have a very different, you know, attitude. Most, 90% normally have a horrendous time and didn't have much fun. Um, and about 5 or 10% said, yeah, it was good. But not a lot of people from England or even Britain get get have you know have that many happy memories of doing America. So I just you sound like it was a bit of a more of an enjoyable experience. Oh, I absolutely loved it. Um, I remember Pat Fish sang to me. Look, we're on the aeroplane, and obviously I'd flown before. I, mean, I wasn't that you know wet behind the ears, but um, I was like, yeah. And he went, look, he goes, the one thing about America is it's full of Americans. He goes, get your head round that, and, and we'll be fine. <laughs> and, I, and I took his advice, and, and that's what I did. I loved it there, absolutely loved it. I spent quite a lot of time there, you know, so... Yes. Well, I've, I've always enjoyed the vibe. I, I, I kind of get that from if you're in a band. It's, it's, a, it's quite a... It's quite, you know, the, the distances involved and just the slog of it can be a bit sort of exhausting. Yeah, but... Yeah, um, that's true. And uh, But the thing is... Um, you know, I, I was in a strange position of like we were doing better like in America and especially Canada than we were in England. You know, and we'd been on in the van going up and down the M1 and the M4 and this, that, and the other. So, you know, like to go and do it in America and sort of have bigger audiences. Well, I mean, it's a bit hard to argue with, really, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's like pff, excellent, right? This will do. Yes, absolutely. So, look, you did you did two albums with them didn't you, um, into the 90s, which is kind of an interesting musical time because, I mean, it, it, you know, obviously there's lots of different scenes, but, I mean, indie had slightly changed and there had been those bands from, I suppose, like My Bloody Valentine and Lush and there was kind of um, Carter, The Unstoppable Sex Machine, those kind of bands. And then you had the dance scene with, you know, Primal Scream and Happy Mondays and the Soup Dragons, yeah. you can't forget them. And then, yeah, but then we were started to experience the sort of the grunge scene from Seattle. So, I mean, it's kind. Of, it was kind of interesting how that kind of was, was kind of shaping up really. You know, during that that particular crossover between, you know, decades. And I just wondered how that was, you know, for you and and the band. You know, trying to sort of navigate that as well as trying to sort of get build an audience because otherwise, you know, you feel you need you need to kind of feel like you're progressing. Otherwise, it's all a, it's a bit hard work, isn't it? Well, absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure really. Um... Mm. You know, I, I remember. You know, you would do. I remember when Loaded become a hit for the Primals, and I knew it was being released, obviously, because I, you know, I was, I was sort of tied in with Creation Records and whatever. But I was like, right, I'm off on tour, so I'd have to leave my day job because I used to work at Creation, <laughs> and then just sort of piss off and go on tour, which was amazing. Because Alan <laughs> would be going, oh great, you're back on the road. I'm like, yeah. It's, it, it's a great one less off the, off the wages bill, sort of thing. <laughs> you know, yes. you know, it, 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 you know, it's Croatia struggling all the time. Uh, but you know, just what a fantastic record label to, to you know. Yes. Oh God, they should be involved with you know. Yes. Uh, to be involved with them, it was. I was like, oh, great. But and, they they um, did have the struggle with my bloody Valentine, didn't they? That album, Loveless. I think that was going to be. That wasn't. Well, apparently so, but I think. Um, I think we all just try to sort of ignore it. <laughs> it it's, it's well spoken, it's well documented now, but 
at the time, everyone was sort of like head in the sand, like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I sort of, I can remember seeing them. Well, once at the art centre, that was actually before, I don't know what label they were on, but they were, that was 89. And then a few years later, when they were at the UBA doing Loveless, I think Silverfish was supporting them. But I mean, yeah, they, it was just one of those kind of albums I think just took too long to do, really, didn't it? I mean, it still sounds amazing, but. You kind of think, blimey, you know, and there was bands like the, was it Stone Roses? They had that kind of horrendous gap of five years. I mean, when you look at the 60s and sort of Bowie's output, they were bringing an album out a year, you know, like Exile on Main Street from the Stones was like just another year, another double album of classic songs. Yes, you wonder what people were doing back in the 80s and 90s. It's a tricky time. But then, yeah, so you, you but then you leave, so the jazz butcher experience changes and then... Actually, because your CV is kind of all over the shop, isn't it? It's it's kind of because then you're in big bang pow, and then the the classic band from Bristol isn't the Blue Aeroplanes as well as the Times. So, so were you were you kind of do you, I mean were you kind of a jobbing drummer, or did you just sort of um, literally leave a band and start to go into another one? No, I was kind of um, <laughs> just trying to earn some money, man. <laughs> you know, I'm like, all right. Yeah, okay. And, uh, yeah, I remember sort of um, joining the Blue Aeroplanes. Um, we were on a joint tour with the Jazz Butcher uh, throughout America. And uh, they were they were going to record uh, their album, Beat Songs, um, in Los Angeles, uh, Ocean May Studios. And I was seeing a girl who lived there. So I was kind of there. And John, uh, Gerard's uh, brother, who was the drummer, was like, Oh, I hate LA. I'm not going back there. He was like being all English and all that. <laughs> and and I was like, well, I'm here, so I'll do it. And I kind of look, you know, I just kind of hopped about a bit, you know, just yeah, you know, just 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 wherever I could earn some money, man, <laughs> because I didn't want to go back to sort of driving a van or working in a glass factory, you know. So I mean, because because you like, make it, yes, because I mean that isn't the. E- I mean, being a, any in. Uh, musician in a band is kind of tricky but the drummer I mean I was sort of talking to a guy from a band called the Bible Boo Hewardeen a couple of days ago and he was saying you know you god you know the one thing that really makes a band is a drummer you know you can get you know if you get a good drummer you you know you're gonna have a good band and and so it's kind of it's not just like someone doodling around in the background so yeah you must have no, been no, it's an easy job really like you know all you've got to do is keep time that's that's why you're the drummer <laughs> you know you can keep time and you know and, and don't try and sort of take over you know what the song is then you're all well, right you know you're all right you know and, and that's just kind of what i did and because I, wa- you know, I watched i've got, I've got, I've got I was going to say, I watched a documentary, uh, or it was a film on the wedding present during the album George Best. And, you know, it's, right. it's a great film. And But there's a huge bit in it, which gets a bit complicated, even 30 years later, where the drummer, the producer, are not having a good time. And there's the click track. <laughs> and it all kind of is going terribly bad. Now, being an indie kid, I didn't really pay much attention to those kind of intricacies. But obviously, some bands did. And so, you know, people were being asked to leave. You know, even now, you know, with all that kind of decades gone, there's still a little bit of an uncomfortable vibe around this kind of experience. So how did you deal with things like producers and click tracks and, 
you know, and also I've talked to a couple of drummers who, you know, had a really bad, you know, like the producer would say, look, you can have this, you can have the drummer and it sounds like this and it's going to be a bit shit and you aren't going to do very well. Or you can have this, which isn't your drummer, but I'll sort it out for you. And it's going to make you, you know, it's going to be a lot more successful, you know, and it's like, Jesus. And that person is is still to this day, is still suffering, (laughs) suffering from a lack of confidence. So how did you deal with... No, no, it didn't really affect me because I'm... uh, when we recorded, um, uh, when I recorded with the Blue Aeroplanes in, in Los Angeles, um, uh, Larry Hirsch was the producer, and there was a couple of songs, you know, not just, I'd been in the band that long, uh, you know, but, but, you know, I was doing good, you know, where I was doing well, I was doing well. But anyway, he, he goes, I'm going to have to get another guy in, but, you know, because, you know, like, Paul just can't cut these tracks, you know, rah, rah. And I, you know, I was pissed off at first, but then I found out it was Jim Jim Keltner, and I went, for fuck's sake, you know what I mean? I've been replaced by Jim Keltner, like legendary drummer. You know, if they'd have got if they'd have got in, like you know, in Joe Bloggs or something, I might have been pissed off. But I was like, oh well, at least I'm being replaced by Jim Keltner. Hello. Yes. <laughs> you know. Yeah, so, yeah I just. I was, yeah. But but over you know like learning the craft, you know, I mean, did it? I mean, obviously it came vaguely naturally because you were doing it from such a young age and your dad as well but I just wondered you know picking up in different bands and sort of learning you know because because rhythm sections in bands are so um, you know like great bands like you got the stones or I don't know I love I also love Fleetwood Mac you know you had John McVie and, and Mick Fleetwood yes. and, and then sort of in yeah. the 80s you had you know well I know that was reggae but you had Sly and Robbie so you know that that is such a critical thing of the you know the sound of that band is kind of made and i did i also thought the rhythm section of the smiths were pretty amazing as well they got they got a good sort of sound wonderful yeah you know so i just wondered over that you know when you were playing you were sort of always kind of learning new new tricks and new things and and sort of you know progressing i suppose well yeah um yeah i just kind of um I just followed my nose, really. I just, you know, it's, it's how I, you know, you know, I, I didn't audition like, you know, uh, to play in Primal Scream. I, I was, I was just always around, and I think a lot of that comes back, to, you know, to the fact of, you know, that, that I was, um, I was really quite involved with Creation Records, you know. So it was, I, I was, I was there for the offering, and it's like, well, I, I'm not the best, but you know, I can definitely, you know, I, I can sort of. Um, I can drum tailor-made to to a certain degree. Yes, know? but then uh, I mean, and, uh, but before your your um the Primal Scream bit, you you mm. you you were worked on a lot of albums, didn't you, for um the Blue Aeroplane? So that must have been a, quite a nice kind of period of the nineties. Yeah, it was great. Um, and the best thing is, um, you know, I remained uh, really strong friends um, with Alan Alan McGee because. I remember meeting him in in Los Angeles, and you know, and because at one point I thought, oh, because I went, Alan, like I'm leaving the Jazz Butcher, which is a creation band, and I'm gonna go and join the Blue Aeroplanes and all that. And I was a little bit worried, you know, because I thought, you know, you might go, what the fuck are you doing, you know? But it was just great, and I remember like meeting him um, in a hotel in in Los Angeles in in the early '90s, and we were both just in hysterics, we were just going, what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Like, and Alan was, he goes, I'm just a fucking, I'm an ex, you know, British Railways employee. He goes, and you're just a van driver from Romford. And and it was, it was quite a funny story, actually. Um, 
uh, this guy uh, come up from the reception and went, oh, Mr. McGee, you have a phone call. And then I went, I'll take a message. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we looked at each other and he goes, how fucking brilliant is that, man? He's going, he goes, you know, I used to work for British Rail. Like, you're a van driver. He goes, and now we're in Los Angeles, unavailable for comment. <laughs> <laughs> and, yes. and that's why I love Alan, you know what I mean? So, yes. Um, well, I and, and that was back in the days as well. I mean, you know, this was... It was the late 80s, I think 89, maybe, maybe 1990. So, yeah, because I I think actually the Blue Airplanes brought out an album called Swagger just before you joined in, I think that was 1990, because there was a classic, and you must have played this live, but there's a song called Jacket Hangs, which is still one of my favourite songs. Is that, was that a nice track? I don't know about nice, but was it a good track to play? You know, was that one of those ones... Because it's always been one of my personal favourites, actually. Well, um, yeah, I used to enjoy playing it. Um, but, you know, I, you know um, as a working musician, I kind of, you know, I stepped into to John Langley's shoes, you know, like that, which is uh, Gerard's brother, who was the drummer, uh, you know, because, you know, he decided that enough sibling rivalry or something. I, I can't remember now. But um, and I was like, all right, then, you know, I'll do it. And then I had to learn all these songs and... Um, and the thing about that song um, is I used, to have, I used to have to have a guitar amp uh, next to my monitor uh, with Angelo Bruschini uh, playing that, that echo guitar because I had to play in time in the echo. Like, there was no, we didn't even have a click track. It was just an extra guitar amp. Right. And it was like, right, keep in time with that, you motherfucker. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> like, you ain't got a job. And I'm like, all right, I'll keep in time with it then. And so, yeah, look, I, look, I don't really know. I just... Um, you just did it. I just did it, you know, and I was just like, right, yeah. because you know, I didn't want to go back to the glass factory. <laughs> because when you, yeah, so so as the as the nineties progressed, which was the the John Major years up to a certain point, and then we'd had sort of we'd had the sort of Seattle grunge scene, which had slightly, yeah, so it had its moment, and then Britpop, which you couldn't you couldn't avoid because obviously that that became sort of headline news, really, didn't it? Well, I was I was, I was right in the middle of it all, so yes. there was no avoiding that. Sorry. There was no no avoiding that. So yeah, so yeah. when you joined, you know, Primal Scream, they'd had the two massive. I mean, though I have to say, I really liked the stuff they did quite early on, especially um, was it Sonic. Flower Groove, yes, they're indie. Well, the, 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 that was that was their first album. There was yes, and then there was another one that they did in '89, which I yeah, I mean, and I think they were probably the first. I think God, I think that was the first track on that C86 cassette. Actually, it lasted all of one minute and forty seconds. Pure magic. But yes, so then when you join a band who had got massive success, hadn't they? You know, the '90s. You know, there were several big bands at that stage who'd gone from indie to, mm. blimey, we're we're sort of selling. We're shifting units. So, what was it like recording Vanishing Point? Um, well, look, it, it took quite a long time actually. Uh, but, but when it actually happened, when it actually kicked in, it, it didn't take much time at all. In fact, it was almost like you know, the album had kind of recorded itself. Um, I was just rehearsing with them. Um, I'd obviously known them since like uh, 1988, you know, and I got on great with all the guys and all that. And, you know, stuff had happened and, um, you know, creation had moved from Hackney, which was like from Hackney to Primrose Hill. So, and uh, uh, the Primers had their own studio. So 
I just started hanging around because I was working at Creation as well in between, you know, just doing everything else. I always managed that. Like Dick and Adam were just so so cool to me. I just sort of I just turn up and go, I'm back. <laughs> uh, uh, they'd be like, yeah, we'll just work down the warehouse or something. Like, you know, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that then. <laughs> and they used to pay me, and it was like it's just fantastic, you know. Um, and uh, but that was a whole new era by then because um. Like the ISIS thing had happened, so and creation kind of went a little bit up market, and we moved to Primrose Hill, which is like the posh bit up in North London. And uh, yeah, I, I just I don't know what happened really. Like I was mates of them anyway, and and the band were kind of they hadn't really done anything since Give Out but Don't Give Up. So and they were kind of just in no man's land, and I just started hanging around with them and. Uh, yeah, Vanishing Point got made, um, but it got made very quickly. Um, I might add, it took ages to do. Yes. But when, when, when Mr. Innes and Mr. Gillespie like got their fucking heads in gear, fuck me, it happened really quick. Uh, that's what I remember of it, anyway. You know? Yeah. But uh, you know, Brendan Lynch like, uh, doing the production. Um, yeah, good times. Um, but you know, I didn't play a great deal on that album. You know, that, I did quite a lot, bits and bobs of percussion, and there's certain tracks. You know, there's live drums, but. There was a lot of programming going on and all that, so I was kind of um, I was there, but I wasn't. You know, it was it, it was almost like the, the best scenario ever. Like it was like, well, just like, as long as you turn up, then like if we've got nothing for you to do, then just like sit down in the pub and drink Guinness, and uh, if we need you, we'll call you, sort of thing. So that was that. That's how that sort of went down. Yeah, but that was good. You know, so it was all right. It was good. It was a good way to record. Well, I suppose, actually, for them, they'd been together for well over a decade and had those indie albums, well, indie, you know, as in, I mean, yeah, I mean, Creation was an indie label, I suppose, but it was kind of, you know, they, they were kind of a very kind of an indie band playing probably the art centre type venues before massive yeah. success with the kind of, you know, which very few bands kind of, well... Yeah, I mean, some do, but not a lot, do they? They kind of have that kind of... Because mostly after the second album or whatever, it's like, well, we've kind of had enough and we're not really going to bother with a third. And if they do, it's often not going to be the big one because they've kind of done it on the first two and the fans have moved yeah, on. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's right. kind of, it was kind yeah, of interesting yeah. that they were one of the few bands that kind of had that kind of narrative, which is, you know, every band is different. And then, you know, we had the great 97 New Labour, God, the optimism... It was uh, Team Tony, wasn't it? So how did yeah? So what was then? How did your career develop after that? And and sort of the drumming world. I mean, did you did you sort of keep? Were you a you know a gun for hire, so to speak? Uh, well, yeah, kind of. Um, well, I just kept going, you know, because um, uh, yeah, the the, the primal thing uh, that finished, um, and, and it's great because there's some great stories about it. But um, none of them are true, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it just it just happened, and um, I sort of finished with them, and um, I, I was pretty heartbroken actually. You know, but but it, it, there's no disguise in the fact, you know, there was there's a lot of drugs going around at the time, <laughs> um, you know, and everyone was sort of tucking into it. Yeah. Uh, well, I suppose it was a golden bit of a golden time because there'd been the whole thing with. CDs, wasn't there? I mean, you know, the vinyl had all been replaced by people buying CDs at £13, which, Jesus Christ, that seems like a lot. I mean, that was a lot then, but, you know, I mean, it was... 
I mean, considering the manufacturing costs must have been quite low. I mean, there was a lot of money, wasn't there? There was a lot of drugs, weren't there? Let's face it. New Labour, oh. it was phenomenal. <laughs> it was just everywhere, mate. You know, it's, um... And did it feel a bit strange? Because then you saw, you know, mates, like, at number 10, sort of saying, well done, you won the election. Did, that, did, did it all feel quite like you're on a heady kind of high? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And you know, I remember saying to Alan, like, I was going, Alan, like, don't get involved with these fuckers, mate. You know what I mean? Like, these are the people we hate. <laughs> you know, they're, they're politicians, mate. And, and you know, but obviously, and Alan was going, yeah, I'm not getting involved with them. I'm just sort of going there, and I'm like, oh, whatever. Yeah. Um, and me and Alan have spoken about this, and we both laugh about it now. But um, yeah, look, it was just to be honest with you, um, I felt a great sense of relief. Um, in the in the nineties, uh, because there was so much financial burden uh, lifted off Creation Records itself. Because you know you got to remember, you know, I used to be there all the time, and I knew that Alan and Dick they were suffering, like you know, like they were remortgaging their houses and stuff just to keep the label going, you know. And because I was mates of them, you know, I was sort of more than just sort of kind of. A bloke in the band because I used to work, you know, I used to help move their shit around and help them move house and you know, just I was a friend and and I just remember thinking, oh, this is brilliant because the minute I heard Oasis, I went, oh well, this is bang on the money, let's hope it works and of course it did and um, yeah, I, I just thought this is fantastic for Creation Records, you know, and it all kept us in, you know, well. Me and my sort of on-off part-time job, like I say, I was I was forever sort of going, oh, I've got to give me a job up now. And, then he, and he was going, well, what, what do you do again? I'm like, oh, I don't know, answer the phones and all that bollocks. Like, you know. He's going, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. And I'm like, oh, cool. Well, I'm off then, and I'll just sort of go off with another band. And uh, <laughs> I, I had that free reign, so that, that, that was fantastic. You know? Yes. So then, so so that was kind of the kind of... The, the slightly nineties in a slight, you know, in a in a slightly mm. simple. So then, what happens in the next, you know, your next kind of period? And how come you've ended in, up in Australia? Well, um, keeping on, on on the musical thread. Yes, um, let's do what happened. Mu- yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I ended up. Uh, look, I ended up playing with uh, James Hunter, uh, the, the James Hunter. Six, I think it's called now, but um, he's got a different band now. Um, and it was very different, and, and I loved it. I, I, I just because there was no, you know, I'm, I'm not disrespecting anybody, but there's no record company involved or anything. It was like, my name's James Hunter, this is my band, and this is what we do. And it was old school rhythm and blues, which I grew up on, um, in um, baritone, tenor sax, stand up bass. Uh, James playing um, guitar and doing lead vocals. So it was his band, uh, still is. And uh, I got into that, and it was a massive breath of fresh air for me because, you know, I've, I've been through all that kind of like, yeah, you know, like, during this band, you know, the next record and like, marketing and this and that and the other and record labels and like with the blue aeroplanes, like, you know, we was with Ensign and all that. And, you know, it was all you know, quite fancy at the time, I guess. But, um, you know, it wasn't really what it was about, you know, I just, I just love playing music. So I ended up playing with James Hunter and just had the best time ever for about three or four years. And all we did was play England and Germany. <laughs> that was it. 
It's funny because everyone that often says the German market is. I remember Lemmy from Motorhead saying that was that was what kept them going when they were yeah. sort of couldn't yeah. get arrested anywhere else, and also various other people from like there was a member of the Godfathers and the guy Fish from yeah. Marillion just saying you know you you know to keep the band still you know this is quite recently to keep it still going you know you've got to do Europe and it's like. 30 gigs in 30 days and the German market is kind of essential because they all buy three CDs or six CDs. So um, it's it's one of those big ones. So that, yeah. And were they big in America as well, James Hunter Six? Uh, There was, um, uh, after I got uh, ejected, um, they uh, went on to sort of, yeah, do a lot of work in America. Um, It got Grammy nominated, I believe. So, Blimey O'Reilly. Yeah. Um, you know, he didn't win it, <laughs> but he was nominated. So he's know. in it to win it. So yeah. So how long did that last for? Oh, um, that was like, the, for me. It, it, well, it was, and for all of us, it was it was the late nineties. So yeah, so. I did. I did about three or four years with them guys. Um, yeah, I loved it as well. Like, I, I really did love it. it, it because because there was no record companies involved, and not that I'm anti record company, but I was just it was like, look, how much am I getting? They're going like hundred pound a night. I'm going, how many nights have we got? They're going six. I'm going, that's six hundred quid a week. Fuck me, oh, that's all right. Yes. And uh, I, was, I was I was off on my on my on, on my way, you know. So, but um, you know, I have to thank uh, Andrew Hackett uh, for that because um, he introduced me to to James or Wilf, which is his nickname. And uh, I got the gig playing a, a, a single bongo drum uh, up in uh, Andy's shop, which at the time was in uh, Angel, isn't it? And yeah. it was just a trance meeting. And, like, and uh, Wilf was going, oh, yeah, I'm looking for a drummer. Like, you know, I, I should have seen the warning signs ready. So I, I sacked the last bastard. He was useless. And I went, oh, I'll do it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yes. I went. So, but, but I loved it. No, I absolutely really did. Uh, it, Probably out of all, all my sort of gigging career, um, I, I loved playing in that band. It was it was fantastic, you know, because um, it, it was just it was the music I really liked, you know. Because the thing is, you know, um, you know, once you get involved in sort of like you know sort of bands that are sort of trying to get high high profile, or whatever, everyone starts name dropping who their favourite band is, and and you can't say a band that isn't allowed to be said because you're not, not allowed to look cool and it doesn't look good for the band and. I got sick of all that, you know what I mean? So, yeah, just yeah, yeah, just sort of like you know, I'd like say, David, I just sort of went back to grassroots and just went, yeah, I'll do this then, and it's fantastic, and I loved it. Nice one. So then, mm-hmm. so then, so as we truck into the noughties and the, uh, the, the yes. The strange kind of yes, God, it's sort of yeah. It's kind of strange how life sort of changes because now you know this last decade has been such a weird one. Because you're thinking eight years ago was the Olympics and it also looked so good, didn't it? And now it's all gone a bit weird. But yeah, so then, so what happened? You know, for the for for you in the the naughty years, the naughty years sounds so stupid. Um. Well, I just um. I just I, I kind of stopped. I just thought, right, you know, and then I was just hanging around um, in London, probably with the wrong sort of people for a little bit, you know, and, and I just got to the point where I thought, you know what, like, I'm, you know, my family live in Australia, so I'll come over here. So, boom, that's what I did. 
because uh, the, the, music, the music work sort of dried up a little bit, you know? Yes. I mean, and probably, you know, I had a bit of a bad reputation, to be honest with you, you know, so, you know, like for sort of, you know, drinking and drugs and stuff like that, you know, but at the time I, I was just kind of cracking on with it, you know? Did you feel, was it a bit like a, in a weird way, like the, the Bowie thing having to get out, get out of LA, then he ended up in Berlin, which was even worse. But did you sort of feel like, if I don't leave now, I'm just going to end up, it's going to get messy? Well, yeah, I did, but simply because um, I got to the point where um, uh, I wasn't playing. So I was hanging about, you know, and that London's a big town, you know. I mean, I was born and bred in sort of, you know, the London Borough of Havering and sort of, as I got older, sort of, you know, Went straight through the East End, straight, you know, and next thing you know, like you're in the middle of London, Camden's going on, this, that, and the other. And it's, um, yeah, and I just sort of thought, look, and and I, I kind of got quite fussy. I was, I was thinking, well, there's no bands around that I want to play in. So, you know, what's the point of hanging around here? So, um, yeah, I, I come to Australia. Yeah, it's yes. quite funny. And, and did you, I mean, because obviously, um, I was just going to, you know, just kind of briefly. I mean, has, has it been a case that you're still sort of taking the odd gig or doing the odd studio kind of work and, and stuff like that? Um, well, you know, I've, I've done a few things over here. Um, I think uh, when I spoke to you on the phone the other night, I mentioned, you know, I did a bit of work with the Lime Spiders and what have you. Um, yes. To be, you know, because actually in the 80s, I remember John Peel playing one of those songs, which I can always remember, Out of Control, and I had to hunt it yeah. down. So when you, when you were sort of, you got that gig and you had to go and learn it, because that's quite a manic, incredibly manic and fast song, isn't it? Did, and that wasn't like anything you would have played probably before. What was... What, did you sort of pick it up kind of relatively easily? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, the the, the, the the tour that we did um, wasn't my, you know, <laughs> out of all my tours that I've done, and I've done quite a few, uh, it wasn't my favourite, but um, it was all right, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it was all right. Well, I guess... Yeah, it was I, all right. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't know the band that well then all their material but I just know there's a couple of singles a bit like the hard-ons who are from Australia who again there's some of their songs are just you know amazing really so I just was um yeah you know sometimes you just think yeah. I've got you know I mean without sounding <laughs> I know this kind of blows you cool but sometimes you you just need you just need the greatest hits let's face it don't you you don't need every album and the b-side you just say I just want your best of really and I suppose yeah, that, that, exactly. that that's kind of uh, it you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, uh, no, I, 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 um, I hear what you're saying because um, that that sort of exhausted me, like because you know there's a lot of fast material and all that, and and you know, I, you know, luckily I've got a good sense of humour, but I was just you know I remember sort of sitting in the dressing room afterwards, just sort of thinking, fucking hell, that is a young man's game, that shit. You know, <laughs> <laughs> fuck me, you know, I was like, Jesus God, you know, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I got through it, you know, it, it was all right. Yeah, but um. But also um, over here, I've, I've had the great pleasure of working with um, with Mark McEntee from the Divinals. Oh yes, um, a wonderful man, and a brilliant guitar player. Just a great musician. Like, um, I met him through a friend of a friend, and he was doing some stuff. And yeah, uh, that I like, you know, because I'm just I'm a little bit older now. 
<laughs> you know, and it was like, the minute I met Martha, I was like, oh, all right, mate. He's like, oh, what have you done? I told him, and I goes, oh, well, I know what you've done, the vinyls and all that. He's like, oh, yeah, boom, crash, straight on with it. Yes. Great, you know? Um, so, so that's nice. Because <laughs> it's kind of it's kind yeah. of interesting learning, you know, your instrument and knowing your um, and learning what you can still do or not do. Because actually, I did an interview with um, was it Miles from the Wonder Stuff the other day, and he he was kind of at, um, I think his dad. I used uh, to like the Wonder Stuff. Yeah, his. I, I think his. I, I, his what happened to their bass player? Because I was I, I liked him. Do you remember the bass player? I remember this big thing, uh, you know, when he he went. Oh, he, I think he met some bird in New York or something, and he went, yeah. The guy with the mad long hair and all that, and he um, was a real part of the band. Yeah, I think I think most of their bass players seem to die. Actually, um, oh, that was a bit of a curse. Don't, don't don't join them as a. But no, but he because he's he's I think he had an uncle who was in ELO or electric light orchestra. Depends, you know, depends. Yes. On the legal front, I think with <laughs> there's some legality about that name. But he his uncle said something about look, mate, you know, if you keep writing songs and singing like that, you're going to ruin your voice. You need to you need to put some space in there. You need to start putting gaps because you need to give your vocals a bit of a break when you're doing that live because you can do it. You've done it, but if you're going to keep doing it, you, you won't have a voice left. Do you feel as a musician, you know, with a drummer, that you kind of think, actually, I want to keep this gig going, but I can't be in a sort of a thrash punk band anymore? I just wondered if it was the same for you, you sitting behind... No, I'm just, really, I'm just really fucking lazy, and I just can't be bothered, which is, you know, quite sad, really. But, um, well, it's not sad, sad. It's just, look, you know... Um, I've still got my drum kit and I still play and I still write and I sort of do little bits and bobs and all that. But, um, yeah, you know, them heady days of kind of being constantly on tour, um, they're gone. And I'm quite glad, actually. <laughs> Just, uh, look, you know, it's, uh, yeah, look, you know, it's a good way to make a living. Yes. There's no doubt about that. But, um, you know, I'm not knocking it, but, yeah, look, I just think that where I live now, um, <clears throat> the opportunity is not there. So, I, I, you know, I just kind of keep my music to myself now. Like, you know, I, I sort of listen to stuff that I like to listen to. And um, I play a bit of guitar and I do a bit of drumming here and there. But, yeah, you know, just whatever, is, really. Is it the case that you feel that, that kind of lifestyle, that you know, the rock and roll kind of lifestyle, is it too much? Is it just too much? You have to give too much, and it takes too much out of you to to, to be worth it. Now, would you rather? Is it the case that you think actually I'm just I know it's gonna it's gonna drain me, and I'm gonna be physically, spiritually, and mentally wrecked? So I'm just gonna, yeah. Uh, no, well, yeah, well, no, not really. No, um, it's just uh, it, I just I haven't found another band to do it with. You know, so. Like, you know, because like, if you're going to do it, then you've got to do it, you know. <laughs> you can't mess around. Like, you know, you, you have to be professional and, and do it. And, and yeah, you know, it's pretty hard work, but you know, it's not the worst job in the world, for God's sake. You know, it's like, but uh, I just, you know, I haven't, if if I walked out into like, where I live in uh, Fremantle in uh, WA, like, for example, David, like if I walked out tonight and, um, and went and saw like, a band in a pub, and they blew my mind, then I'll be straight back on it. You know, I'll be going, ah, oh, you know, I've got mates like back in England. Like, you know, you're a great band. You know, I'll, I'll be into it massively. 
but I just I'm just not really seeing much at the minute. But that's because I don't go out either. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. I know. I, mean, I do go out a little bit, but it's just you know I'm fucking hell. I'm 55 this year. It's like you know, I, you know, like back in the creation days, like we used to go out five nights a week, but like every night, you know, uh, and be and be back at work for the morning. But we'll be young, you know. I know. I know it's, right. it, yeah, I know. I, I I would feel disappointed somehow. If I if I had a night off, and also you get to that age and you don't want to remit it, obviously, especially on air. But you, you know you kind of quite like gigs where you, where where you can sit down now, which is tragic, isn't it? To admit, there you go. I've said it. Oh, I don't sit, I don't sit down at gigs. No. I, 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 I ain't that bad. <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of like oh god also something at least something to lean against I, I quite like the art center I, I don't know if you ever played Norwich but the art center is kind of yes, you, know, I have, yeah. you can yeah. kind of lean against you know some pillow yeah. which is quite nice so who did you play yeah. with at the art center was it the blue aeroplanes or the jazz oh, bridge? listen um, uh, probably uh, quite a few bands yes you nice. know because I, I, I was always jumping ship really to be honest with you but just just for a gig, that's all. Not, not because you know, not because I thought anyone was better or worse than the other person. Yeah, it was like, is that a gig? Yeah, that'll do. You know, off you go, off you go. Yeah. So look, Paul, because you've been you've you've got an amazing life story. I mean, if you could have, if you could say something to you or your eighteen, an eighteen year old self who was starting out, I just wondered if there was kind of a bit of advice you to say, look. You probably will ignore this, but I'll just tell you all the same. <laughs> I just wondered what that, what you would say, because there's probably a few things you'd like. Yeah, kind of, you know, because it's you know, with, you know, experience, stroke, wisdom. You know, you you just learn things mm-hmm. that you think, okay, you know. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I just yeah. wondered if you if there was something you'd say, like, oh, I really would have, I would have just told myself that, and I just, yeah, I was kind of curious what that would be. Um, just you know. Keep your eyes on the prize, which is uh, the music. There's so many distractions, you know, like you know, as in, you know, you know, sex and drugs and rock and roll and all that. And, you know, and and those distractions don't necessarily like take take your eyes off the prize, but it's just you know, none of that stuff really lasts forever, like the sex, the drugs, and the rock and roll, you know. But as long as you can keep your eye on the rock and roll, like on the music, and uh, yeah, and just, just I don't know, just uh, do what you do, you know. I mean, I, I seem to still get on great with everyone, like you know, from back in the day and all yes. that. And we, we all had some great laughs and what have you. But um, you know, and, and I suppose you know it's, it's the old adage, like you know, it's a young man's game and what have you. But um, well, it is because you know it's pretty hard work. But um, but it's still, you know, it, it's better than being a van driver from Romford, you know, so, um, yeah, just, uh, you know, keep, uh, all, all I'd say is, like, you know, keep concentrating on the music, really. I know it sounds probably a bit daft and cliched, but, um, yeah, you know, just... Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people have the same kind of attitude at the end, you know, it's like, you know, you know, like, a lot of people say, you know, I wish I'd practice more, I wish I'd... You know, just ah, fuck that, fuck practicing, fuck practicing. Right, you know. <laughs> but, but you know, it's like, well, or just kind of, <clears throat> I suppose, um, a combination of like, I wish I'd enjoyed it more when I was younger. We were all too uptight and serious. It's kind of a classic one that a lot of people say. You know, I wish, to, yeah. yeah, I was the complete opposite. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, oh, excellent, right? Well, let's just get really loose. <laughs> <laughs> And not give a fuck, sort of thing, you know. So, 
yeah, I kind of went. Into, yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't go. I didn't go into it like that. I, I kind of just went. Oh well. As I keep saying, you know, it's, this is better than doing what I was doing. You know, so yeah, and, and I've got to be some, you know, amazing characters along the way. I've met all sorts of people. You know. Well, yes, I know. I mean, well, you sat in hotels around the world and hung out at the best places. I mean, it's just, you know, I mean. Not many people can have not many people have that story, you know. Not many people have that experience of even going on a stage and seeing a crowd, and playing a set. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of you. You either done it or you haven't. But you, there aren't a lot of people who've had that. And to to you know, toured with various bands, been in studios, you know, heard your work. You know, basically archive for the rest of humanity you know it's kind of you know in a, in a way in a way i know it sounds a bit sappy but it's kind of an amazing privilege isn't it you think fuck me when i was oh, six, absolutely you know absolutely you know. If, you, if your 18 year old self could see the story that you were about to have they'd be like no way no fucking way that's not going to happen to me and it's like oh actually it did so you know miracle it's kind of like a you know not miracle yeah but, well, a, a classic story was um when i was in los angeles um I ended up hanging around with Public Enemy, right? Me, right? That skinny, you know, skinny little <laughs> dude from Romford. And they were going, oh, look, you know, what are you doing in town and all that? I'm going, oh, I'm here with the jazz butcher and this, that, and the other. And I was going, I was going, yeah, uh, we listened to, the, you know, your stuff on our tour bus and all that. And they're going, oh, you know, what do you think? And, all that. And, I, and I was just going, I was going, oh, you could stop moaning for a bit. I was going, Jesus, like, you bang on a bit, didn't you? <laughs> you know, and they're going, oh, yeah, yeah, we... And but, but this—that's a true story, you know. And, and I, you know, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't political or anything. I was just sort of going, "Fuck sake, boys!" Like, you know, fucking give it a rest, will you? Fuck sake, <laughs> that we all know, well, like, you know. And and I just got well, basically got drunk with them and uh, smoked a bit of weed with them and that. And so for things like that, I'm eternally grateful because, like, you know, there's not many people can say that, you know, like. No, I was hanging true. around with Public Enemy, you know, and that, and like, and, and all their girls were with them and all that, and they're all like, going, oh, oh, he's so cute, oh my god, and I'm just going, for fuck's sake, I was going, you fucking soppy Americans, You're like, what the <laughs> fuck are you going? And they just thought it was hilarious, and uh, yeah, well, that, that, you know, that was an interesting evening, yes. to say the least. Where are but, you um, from? Where are you from? Oh, to say, exactly, yeah. Just yeah. to say London, that's good enough. Even if I'm in Norwich, I say London. It's Oh, yeah, we've heard of London. It's lovely. Place. Oh, well, that's taking the piss a bit, Dave, that Norwich. You know it mean? is, but it, keep, well, it, 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 keep, it keeps... I can get away with it from Rumford, mate. But, I know, uh, no, but, it, but, but to be honest, <laughs> when I've tried to explain where Norwich is, it's like, oh, shit, I'm I just going to say London. We're just not... No, <laughs> I nor, what I normally say is I'm north of London, and that's, like, true. <laughs> a hundred kind mi- of. A hundred miles north, anyway. But look, Paul, yes. um, I'm going to have to make yeah. a bit of a move soon. But thank you ever so much for your time. This has been amazing. Well, and uh, Well, thank you. I'm really not sure, you know, what I was supposed to say. Um, no, that's fine. Or... That's absolutely great. And um, I just really appreciate it. And because I've been building this kind of bit of an archive, I suppose, of, you know, bands and musicians. But, you know, it's, you know, mostly from that golden decade that was the 80s. But, you know, obviously the 90s as well. And, you know, there's like a lineage, isn't there? There's kind of a... There's a kind of a yeah, of course. Yes, um, yes. narrative that goes from one to another. So it's been amazing. So thank you ever so much. But um, I better make a bit of a move because my partner's going to go, where the fuck are you? Um, so look, this has been fantastic. And thanks uh, and thank God for Skype. And um, I hope you have a lovely Saturday night in Australia. But yeah, is yes. that cool? I'll, 
I'll, I'll do my best. Yeah, well, this, yeah, that, that was great. Yeah. I mean, okay. Like I say, um, I was just a little bit worried, like sort of thinking, well, what the fuck have I got to talk about? But I guess. It's a good story. Yeah. It's a good, no, you were there. It, it's it, yes. no, it's all it's it's a great narrative. You know, that's the main thing. That's good. Yeah. But look, well, listen, I love your work, mate. Um, yeah, I've been checking it out. <laughs> you know, online and whatever. I know on the old interweb. So, interwebs. Yeah, yes, as old as I like to call it. The, so, well, infoma- look, the you, information so superhighway. Yes, back in the day. Look, yeah. Well, look, take care. I better hit the road. But um, yeah, all the best, and um, let's oh. keep rocking for the rest of the year and keep alive. All right, I'll speak to you soon. All right, cheers, mate. Thank you. Bye now, bye. And that was me in conversation with Paul Marini to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that other stuff. Anyway, if you, um, yes, C86 Show, this is David Eastall. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do at C86 Show. Keep it positive, please. Life's too short. And also all these interviews are being archived, so you can find those on Spotify, iTunes and Pod. Bean. Check it out. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.